Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. All right, welcome to the Elise Mertens Show. I'm Jay Crouch, <laughs> bringing presenting straight away at the side of Limburg, Belgium. Elise getting it done for the waking cash after Bet the Ed listeners. Uh, good morning of tennis, Drew. Are you enjoying it? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a very very fun one. Um, I I had a lot. Of, I, I I'm, I'm I'll be honest with you. I'm a little a little tired. Got up a little early to watch that <laughs> Elise Mertens show. Uh, and uh, boy, was that exciting! Great, great performance by her. Um, you know, you I, you cheer a little bit for the Americans. You want to see them do well. This isn't Jeff Spigula's surface, so I don't really feel bad. Uh, much happier to get that money line home. Six one six three for Elise. Uh, and she is showing some really, really high quality form, not just in this particular tournament, but on clay this year. Her whole break numbers are outstanding. And uh, I think we might have a little third quarter winner uh, there. She certainly has taken out the favorite in that quarter. And there's really no one else that spooks you. So um, at least Mertens could be looking at her second career semifinal uh, and uh, first in a while. Last time she was at that stage was 2018 against Carolyn Wozniacki. So a uh, really fun result. And then um, I'm currently... And actively sweating. Uh, Djokovic 3-0. Uh, he got thoroughly outplayed in the first set, but won in a tie break because he won basically every clutch point he needed to to avoid uh, losing 7-5 by, you know, with Davidovich serving for the uh, set uh, and then uh, just produced some outstanding quality in the tie break itself. So long way to go for him, but uh, I'm sweating that outright. I'm sweating 3-0 and uh, I would like to see a little bit better tennis from Mr. Djokovic. Yeah, it's okay. I think he's got an extra gear in reserve and he probably got out of jail snatching that first set, but fingers crossed. Uh, someone with a bit of Elise Mertens in him is Nikola Jokic, uh, who last night put on a clinic. Uh, we're going to start off talking NBA, then we're going to get into Coach of the Year and close out with more French Open chat. But let's uh, let's go to Ball Arena yeah. And yeah, pretty underwhelming game last night, I thought, and kind of unfolded the way I think everyone kind of thought it would unfold, where from the tip, the thing that was most notable, like it wasn't just Jokic, it was Gordon and Porter and all these guys who were just 6'10 and above. Uh, and as soon as it was clear that Caleb Martin can't really guard Aaron Gordon, that's when it seemed like it'd be trouble for the Heat. Uh, and then... Max Struess uh, had an out-of-body experience in a bad way after having an out-of-body experience in a good way in previous series, 0 of 9 from 3. Jimmy Butler has not looked right since, I mean, really since he sprained his ankle against New York. He hasn't been the same guy. He had flashes in the first two games of the Boston series, memorably the last six minutes of game two where he too-smalled Grant Williams, but he just doesn't look like the same guy. 
Uh, and if Butler's not the same guy and the Heat aren't making threes, then they kind of look like a team that went 44 and 38 and was three minutes away from getting knocked out of the play-in by Kobe White. But uh, what did you make <laughs> of the game? Uh, and anyways, the bet the series going forward. Uh, so that was my least favorite type of game. Uh, the Heat were drawing dead and they looked like they knew it after a quarter. Uh, and I don't really know what you do with it at that point. Like the margin was out of control going into the fourth quarter. The I thought the Nuggets took their foot off the gas maybe a little bit early. Uh, I could be saying that selfishly because I wanted more Nuggets points. I wanted a bigger margin. I had some alt Nuggets in pocket that did not come through because they gave back so much in the fourth quarter. Um, but it's really tough to make anything of that, uh, you know, of the rest of the series based on that one result because the disparity in rest was so, so significant. And I honestly thought that the Nuggets looked a little rusty, <laughs> even in winning by double digits. Um, Michael Porter Jr. couldn't really find his three. Uh, regression came calling for the uh, Heat shooters, which, well, you know, I think you know you pretty eloquently um, nailed uh, the Kobe Martin uh, scoring uh, under. I think is going to have a tough time getting there at this point, considering what we saw in Game One. Um, it's uh, so at this point, I don't think that you can really take a ton out of Game One. Uh, to you know, kind of continue to adjust the rest of the series, you have to sort of stick with your convictions. And my convictions is the Nuggets are going to win in short, you know, in a short series here. Um, and you know, for that reason, looking at the game two market where they are eight and a half point favorites makes perfect sense to me. Um, there is going, there are going to be, and there already was a lot of excuse making from Heat supporters. I felt like yesterday, uh, but we, that, that was a win. We look how we came back. We solved some stuff. Uh, there was some, there was some um, uh, Highsmith buzz. Highsmith has figured out Joker. Joker, no, no. No, that's not the case at all. Um, and I think realistically, the Heat don't have the answers in terms of scheme or personnel to really ever solve joke um, to uh, solve uh, um, Jokic. Uh, and so I think uh, at this point, going back to the well with the second uh, within game two for an over, uh, I think the adjustment down to two fourteen and a half that we're looking at currently was too much. I played some last night. I think it opened actually at two twelve and a half, uh, so it's already come back up a hair. But uh, I think the uh, kind of two eighteen nineteen range is more fair, um, and we do tend to see when you have this big rest disparity in game one, the second game of series like that uh, tend to play to the over. Um, and so, you know, that the fact that you are getting an adjustment off of game one total and the, you know, another couple of days for the heat to acclimate, uh, and now they are on even footing in terms of rest relative to the last game, not overall, uh, I think, uh, is going to matter, uh, and for what it's worth, um, the rest disparity that you saw in game one does have a shadow. Right. If you look at specifically this situation where you have uh, a team that is in game two where, you know, they are they have played, uh, you know, as much in recent week as the Heat have, uh, they are still losing almost 80 percent of the time. Uh, and that is a problem for them because I don't think realistically they'd have a schematic way to get back in this series. They just gonna, are going to need shooting luck to steal one here. And uh, so for those reasons, eight and a half as a, uh, a game two side makes perfect sense to me. And I think, uh, you know, I'm just going to sit on my hands and and uh, as far as the side goes and sit on my nugget sweep and uh, reevaluate when we get to game three. What about you? 
Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought Miami got decent enough shots where they shouldn't have been down 21 at three quarter time or whatever the margin was. Like they were getting open threes for Struess. At the same time, they weren't getting anything at the rim or in the paint. Bam was making tough shots. They took two free throws the entire game, and that was Highsmith. If Butler's not getting to the line, they don't really have anyone who can get there. And then with the Highsmith on Jokic thing, I, I think the, the issue with just kind of the. The thought process around that is that people think it's Rui 2.0. Like Anthony Davis is a significantly better rim protector than Bam Adebayo. Like Bam Adebayo blocks less than a shot a game. And rim protection isn't about just blocking shots, but Bam just isn't as big as AD. And that's why that was so effective is that AD was able to wall off the rim by himself. And still, it was effective. The Nuggets still scored 122 (laughs) um, points per 100 in the series, which is the greatest offense of all time so i just don't think there's any answer for this nuggets team I and mean, this is a historically good team and maybe the best offense there's ever been and the heat i think the heat will probably shoot 48 percent from three and steal one game in the series and it probably ends up 4-1 though certainly the sweep price from before the series is looking pretty good and even now i think plus 350 is still a little bit appetizing the minus two and a half series handicap for the nuggets mm-hmm. as well uh, which if you shop around, I think you get minus 115 on that, I think. Uh, so as much as the Heat missed shots, also felt like Jokic and the Nuggets were kind of, they didn't they didn't have to get to fifth gear. They didn't really have to show much. They just handled mm-hmm. their business. They just asserted their size. Like if the series takes another turn, the Nuggets will have another gear. So ultimately, I think this is going to be a short series. I think the best way to bet it is to take Jokic minus 400 finals MVP and parlay that into anything else that you like on the planet because I think he's a 95% chance to win if the Nuggets win. Admittedly, Mm -hmm. it may be a shorter series, so there is a bit more variance where if Murray goes off for 48 points in one of these games. But at the same time, Murray had an otherworldly series against the Lakers, basically a 10 out of 10 series for him and didn't get a single vote. Um, for MVP. So I think Jokic MVP, I think Nuggets minus two and a half series handicap, still think the sweep as well. Uh, is there anything else I'm missing? Anything else we should be tackling? I don't think so. I guess, did you agree with me that the Nuggets looked a little rusty? I, cause, and, and I guess some in the back of my head, this entire playoff run for them, I've been a little worried that their defense might just not be that good. And there were definitely moments in the game against the Heat where I was like, geez, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. That was a mistake. If they don't clean that up, it'll eventually cost them. Did you have any sense of that, that uh, uh, the Nuggets have a higher level defensively or just in general can play better than what we saw? Yeah, I think defensively they were a little bit a little bit rusty. The thing is with Jokic is that there is no rust when you have Jokic on offense. Like he just yeah, gets right, you true. a good shot. He gets you a good to great shot every single possession. That's why I think he's I think he's just the best offensive player certainly that I've ever seen. Uh, and just the the flaw that he gets you to on a possession by possession basis is just it's just untenable. And I mean, Bam, I thought Bam was pretty good last night on defense in terms of fronting him, making it difficult to get to his spots. But as soon as Jokic is backing anyone down on that team, it's just a five alarm fire. Like it's just over. And he can just, he can put Bam in the hole one on one. Bam can't guard him one on one in the post. Bam can front and make it difficult for him to get to that spot. Once yeah. Jokic gets it, though, it's just all over. So I, I don't really see how the Heat have any path to winning four games in this series. Uh, maybe they can get one or two, but I, I would be stunned if the Nuggets lost this series now.
Yeah, no disagreement. Uh, is there an answer if you're Spolster for the size disparity? Oh, no, <laughs> there's no. <laughs> what are you going to do? Like play Kevin Love, he's six eight. Play more Zella, that means you're playing more Zella. Like there's no answer. Their best players are Jimmy Butler and Bam and Caleb Martin and then guards and Robinson and Strick. Like they just, there's no answer. They can't get bigger. Uh, and it's a huge problem where Aaron Gordon, like if the Nuggets, if for some reason something's not working on offense, then they can just start going Aaron Gordon backing guys down. That's what they're doing yeah. at the start of the first quarter. So, yeah, I, I just don't think that he'd have any answers. Uh, obviously, you can never discount Spo and Jimmy. But this series, if the Heat are going to make this series interesting, they need some 10 out of 10 Jimmy Butler games, not the 3 out of 10 that he gave them last night where he scores 13 points. So uh, I think it's going to be a short series, but uh, I'd be pleasantly surprised if it's not. All right, before we get to Coach of the Year, a reminder to download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster, get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in the App Store today. Okay, yesterday we happened across a little discussion around Shane Steichen uh, and his chances of winning Coach of the Year, so we thought we'd revisit it in a bit more depth. I do think this is an interesting market just from a... I guess, a betting theory perspective and how you go about it. So how do you want to tackle this? Well, let's uh, let's cross some names off first. And I'm going to propose certain guys in d- different classes. Um, some of it is this guy does not fit uh, the historical, tr- you know, the historical, uh, you know, winner profile. Some of them are opinion based as well. But let's start with the kind of the easy ones first. If you're a team that's expected to win 10 games, you have to do so much beyond that to get yep. consideration for coach of the year that I'm ready to pretty much cross you off, particularly if you're an incumbent coach. Uh, this uh, you, We can start the list with Andy Reid. Uh, Chiefs are expected to win 12 games. Uh, sure. Andy Reid is a cross-off. I think um, you know, Mick, I think McDermott in uh, Buffalo, sim- similar story. Uh, they're expected to win 11, 12 games. Uh, and I think Zach Taylor in Cincinnati, similar story. And I honestly think Cincinnati might under achieved this year but that's opinion um and then we get into some of the kind of more edge cases nick sirianni expected to equal his production from last year that's going to be tough i think you cross off uh, sirianni uh and then we get into a little bit trickier ones where their win total is hovering right around 9 10 and i'm going to cross off stefanski i'm going to cross off harbaugh i'm going to cross off uh uh, uh mike uh uh, McCarthy. I'm going to yep. cross off Doug Peterson. I'm going to cross off Brandon Staley. These are all nine and a half win total teams. Uh, I think Mike McDaniel is a cross off as well because he's got such a talented team that he's at nine and a half. Uh, and that kind of leaves us now with a huge question about two teams. Actually, excuse me. I'm going to cross off Robert Sala as well. He's at nine and a half. Um, yep. That class of like nine and a halfers. If you see a team in there that you think realistically can like win the one seed with conviction then maybe revisit those. Uh, but I don't know that I see a ton, you know, I, I don't see enough upside in coach of the year odds to, to really kind of keep those guys in the pool. Um, and then that leaves us with a huge question mark, which is what do we do with the favorite in this market? Dan Campbell and the lions are expected to win nine and a half games. To me, expectations can really only be met or missed as opposed to exceeded. And when it comes to coach of the year, I need a coach that is really going to exceed expectations. So I'm ready to cross off the favorite in this market and Dan Campbell, especially at price of eight to one. 
I mean, the Lions have to get the one seed in the NFC if he's going to get that consideration. Am I crazy? No, no, I agree with you. Uh, I think that the bar is set very high for Campbell. At the same time, if he gets the one seed, that's pretty much auto win uh, to get the Detroit Lions to the one seed. But again, at the price, eight to one, it's not particularly appetizing. Yeah. I think your process is right here. Um, The way that I look at this market is basically – who has a realistic chance to win if their team gets to like an 85th percentile outcome of the season? Who's going to get the credit? And the way this usually works is you need to improve by four wins off the previous season or exceed your win total by three or four games and then not have a superstar quarterback who steals credit from you. Now, there are <laughs> there are exceptions to that, like Belichick, uh, a couple of Brady seasons where Belichick, you know, he's Bill yeah. Belichick. So he has a little bit of a caveat there. Uh, John Harbour, Lamar's MVP season. But I think the fact that Lamar was so young and the offense was so revolutionary that Harbour got the credit there. So, yeah. you know, the same names that that you crossed off, I would also cross off. And some of those guys, and, you know, I think you, you caveated this already, but like, yeah, if the Chargers go 15 and two and they're the one seed, then Brandon Staley will probably win coach of the year. But the yeah. odds of them doing that are probably longer than what his coach of the year price is. <laughs> um, great, so, way to frame, great way to frame it. So the, the names to me that jump out in terms of who will get the credit and who has a realistic path to, you know, winning three or four games above expectation, you know, winning their division. I'd look at guys like Matt LaFleur, uh, Matt Eberflus. I think Mike McDaniel, if he wins the AFC East, will get a lot of credit. Also, the other thing too is with all these Coach of the Year awards, you need to be able to see the coaching. So when like yeah, Dallas sure. were, over, were exceeding expectations two years ago with Mike McCarthy, no one actually really knows what Mike McCarthy does. Does he actually do anything <laughs> or is it just Dan Quinn and the defense got really good? Mike McCarthy has like the Doc Rivers kind of stench for this type of award. So I just don't think he's ever going to win it unless they go 17 and 0. So... When you think yeah. of it like that, like Mike McDaniel, you can see his play calling. You can see it in their offense. He's very – the coaching is very evident. So I think that he would get the credit. Yeah. Sean Payton, uh, if he fixes Russell Wilson and that team goes 13-4, and four, I think he is very live. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, if Sam Darnold is the quarterback, which looks less likely yeah. now, looks like it's going to be Brock Purdy. I don't think Shanahan can win if Purdy is the quarterback unless they go 16-1 and one or better. Mike Tomlin, if he wins the AFC North, Mike Tomlin's never won this award. Uh, and so I think that he would get the credit in that case. Um, but yeah, I think it's a relatively small group of names. Two guys I wanted to get your thoughts on. Sure. Arthur Smith and Frank Reich can both yeah. win their division with teams that are not prestige teams at the moment, not really thought of as division winners. Do you think if either of those teams went 11 and 6, that those guys would win Coach of the Year? Or do you think that? Just uh, 11 and six, small markets, bad division. They just wouldn't get enough credit. I think 10 wins puts Reich in the conversation because he's so well liked. And I think, you know, like not unlike Dable last year. Uh, and with a rookie quarterback, with some of the issues that they have offensively in terms of skill position players, uh, I think 10 wins puts Reich in the combo. 11 wins puts Arthur Smith in the conversation, conditional on them getting a two seed probably. Um, seating is important. You need to be like, you know, they, you know, if you're a Falcons team that's kind of expected to be around 500, you got to be in the Nick Sirianni kind of a mold of last year in terms of market support. If you're Arthur Smith, I think. Um, but I think all your points are fair. Um, and 
I don't know. I, I, I want to cross more guys off just on the yeah. basis of, um, I don't think this team, you know, opinion based. I don't think realistically this team is going to be able to exceed expectation enough to be put themselves in consideration. So I want to keep crossing off Todd Bowles. I'm going to cross off Sean McVay. I'm going to cross off Ron Rivera, Dennis Allen, Josh McDaniels, Bill Belichick, Mike Vrabel. Uh, I think we can cross off Brian Dable just on the basis of being even better than he was last year is going to be extremely tough. Uh, and I mean, we're down to a handful of names and it's a bunch of the ones that you mentioned. Interesting that you put Mike McDaniel in the conversation. Cause I completely agree. Um, he will get the lion's share of the credit. If the uh, dolphins are good, even though his team is a super team, right? Like that roster is absolutely loaded, but it's fun when something good happens on offense, the camera will find McDaniel and the and, you know, and when Monday morning comes up and the you know Dolphins beat the Bills surprisingly, the conversation will be about wow, amazing the way McDaniel you know crafted that offensive approach to beat the Bills, right? Whereas it's the opposite with the Mike McCarthy. Every time something terrible happens, the camera loves to find Mike McCarthy and show him making a stupid face. Every time the you know every time the Cowboys underwhelm on national TV, the conversation on Monday is what did Mike McCarthy do wrong, right? Like those things absolutely have influence on the way that coaches are perceived. And I think you have to weave that into the conversation here. So uh, the final uh, kind of list of candidates I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys that I think have realistic chance to win this award. At this point, it becomes about opinion and price. I think um, I kind of don't think Sean Payton can realistically turn around the Broncos in such a difficult yeah, it's a really, really tough ask in a really, really challenging division. Uh, I kind of want to throw out all of the AFC Northers just because that's going to be so competitive. I think you could win the AFC. You know, It's just going to be much tougher needle to thread to exceed expectations by enough in the AFC that I almost want to only specifically shop in the NFC. Are you kind of there? Yeah, the only, the one exception to that would be McDaniel, just because to your sure. point, like he is the face of that team. He's you know he's on the court at Heat games. He's doing the the bang and the drum at Panthers games. Like he's just <laughs> everywhere. He's the best interview of all the coaches. The media loves him, uh, and he's just he'll get the credit if they win the AFC. So I think people as well have probably an inflated perception of the Jets and how good the Jets are going to be, and that's going to help. Uh, McDaniel, where if they win that division, they're going to be seen as winning like a super division. And if they yeah. win the division, also that means that they're probably a one or a two seed. And in that case, I think McDaniel would win. So my does two this, favorite bets in the market. Yeah. So yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, does this year though, doesn't it kind of feel like there's going to be a team that's perceived to be quite bad that sneaks into the playoffs and that that could be, you know, not like the Giants last year, kind of. Like yeah, is, is that more the mold than than a team leaping and getting a one? Yeah, I mean those are the two paths, and the other my other favorite bet in the market fits more that mold, and that's Matt <laughs> okay. But then we've talked about where Lafleur. I think you can still get him at around twenty to one, twenty to five to one. He'll get all the credit if Green Bay yeah. are good. Obviously, Jordan Love. Um, I think he will get credit for being able to. Uh, mold that transition in a way if they stay competitive, and also. They play in primetime five different times, which is going to help Matt LaFleur. So if they go 11-6 and six and win the NFC North in the first year without Rodgers, then that's a pretty compelling Coach of the Year case. And also okay. it knocked out Dan Campbell and Eberflus, who are two of the top favorites in the market. That's a so, great, 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 great point. 30-1, uh, so, to one, 
LaFleur. All right. Yeah. Putting that in the portfolio. What else you yeah. got? Uh, McDaniel, 20 to 1. I think Eberflus as well. If you can get 16 to 1 or better on him, I think that is a decent bet. And then outside of that, there's nothing super appetizing to me. Do you have one favorite bet in the market? Uh, I'm going to toss Eberflus, not because I don't believe in the Bears, but because I feel like there's going to be a lot of... It's so much... If the Bears do anything this year, the credit will go to Justin Fields making the expected year three leap. Sure. With more talent around him, which is not a crazy case at all. And honestly, like if you're handicapping offensive rookie of the year market, I think you got to keep a side eye on uh, on Justin Fields. Uh, and in general, player, yeah. the offensive player of the year market. Yeah, uh, I, I, I just didn't, he's not an MVP candidate in my mind, but he definitely is the guy. I think if the Bears do anything, is is going to get the uh, the credit. Um, I like what you brought up yesterday. Honestly, Shane Steichen potentially yeah. with the Colts stealing uh, you know a playoff wild card in a very com- competitive AFC looks very realistic to me. Um, an injury to Trevor Lawrence opens the door for them to just win their division outright, which automatically like, oh boy, like now the, this is out of control runaway train, Shane Steichen, you know, coach of the year. Um, and even better than any of this, Jay, if you look at the schedule for the Colts, the last seven weeks of the season, it is plausible that they could play six first or second year quarterbacks. Yep. Now, if Anthony Richardson has any pulse at all at that point in the season and they're going up against... Uh, you know, quarterbacks who the game is moving too fast or, uh, you know, just in general don't have enough talent. Uh, they could come down the home stretch hot, which is important. <laughs> and I know I'm saying this on the heels of Brian Dable going to six and one or whatever, and we're still winning, but, um, you know, finishing strong and having some, some positive results and some momentum at the end of the season matters to me. So, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to steal your, uh, your, your look and, uh, put Shane Steichen for sure in my portfolio. Steichen, yep. LaFleur, uh, Arthur Smith. I got to put him in just because I, th- I b- do believe in the Falcons potentially getting a top two, three seed in the NFC. Uh, and then, um, gosh, I think that's probably where I got to stop. Yeah. Okay. I would add McDaniel, but I agree on the three and the thing with Steichen as well, before we move on is that like after he you know he'll get credit for being the quarterback whisperer where he turns Jalen Hurts into an MVP candidate he makes Anthony Richardson into a guy who's a you know spearheading a playoff team in year one and that will build I think you'll get a ton of credit there also the Colts have I think more talent than people give them credit for so definitely uh, I agree on Steichen all right just a reminder, Sunday morning means MLB leadoff. Watch exclusive live games all season long on Peacock. This week, check out an NL Central battle between the Cards and the Pirates in Pittsburgh. Catch, catch the action live this Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern. How about Captain Crunch's Crunch Berries with breakfast? Whoa, Dad, we're on. Crunch Island. <gasps> He's Jean LeFoot. <laughs> He stole our crunch. Quick, the zip line. He's getting away. Throw our last crunch berry. No. No one steals my crunch berries. I think you mean my crunch berries. Choose your own crunch venture with Captain Crunch. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. 
we come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The Premier League is built on hope. The hope of discovering a new star. It doesn't take long for Darwin Nunez to make an impression. The hope of rewriting history. of continuing a dynasty. Unstoppable week after week. This is the Premier League on NBC, USA and Peacock. All right, let's close <laughs> out with some French Open chat. I'm starting to get excited, by the way, for this Cardinals-Pirates game. Like yeah, uh, Every time you pitch it, I'm like, yeah, this is a big game. This is going to be exciting. Oh, NL Central on the... <laughs> Pirates offense has got some pieces, and the Cardinals. Uh, I bet on the Cardinals actually yesterday at seventeen to one to win the NL. Uh, I think that they have uh, they have another gear to get to, and I think ultimately they're going to win that that uh, not great division. Uh, better divisions uh, in the French Open, uh, mm. where the outright uh, on the men's side took a bit of a hit yesterday with uh, old mate Yannick Sinner um, really Yannick Sinnering his way to an incredible loss. I will never understand why. He played the break point that he had in the final game of his French Open. Why he played that the way he did, just kind of tapped back and overhead. For some reason, took a forehand volley, just bunted that one back instead of just like letting that bounce and then putting it away for the winner. I, I don't know what he was doing, but he's opened up the men's side of the draw. So do you think there are any bets on that side now that the bottom half is wide open? I was surprised that the market wasn't more inclined to shorten Rune because he is now the clear class on the bottom. Um, the equity looks like it was spread between Rune, Zverev, and Rude, which, okay, fine. <laughs> I mean, Rude was a finalist last year. He could go back. No, I'm not I'm not strongly against that. His path is quite tough, though. Uh, Zverev, similarly, like, that was a about as uninspiring a straight sex victory as you can have yesterday. I uh, really just have not seen anywhere close to the level that he brought in last year's French Open before his ankle injury uh, this year. So maybe he finds it. Um, but uh, the guy that I think realistically you got to be eyes on is our guy, America's Captain America, Taylor Fritz, uh, top rated American player. Um, he got into a nice little, uh, nice little uh, uh, aggro yesterday with the French crowd. I'm not sure if you saw this, but uh, he, I think he dispatched the last French man in the field, and uh, in doing so, uh, was booed violently <laughs> by the French crowd. Uh, they are not afraid in France to make their, um, you know, voices heard when they are upset about an outcome. Uh, and Fritz, instead of kind of shrinking in the moment, he gave them the silent treatment gave them the shush uh and then put away the win it was pretty cool moment i think and taylor fritz has shown enough on clay for me this season to actually believe he's got a chance um he's got a couple of you know pretty decent results his losses are to good players uh so i think uh, he can put together a high enough uh stretch of tennis here assuming like i didn't love seeing him play at night it was a little the conditions were a little little wet, a little damper, you know, and he's, he's like, definitely, I would like to see him have some matches in, uh, in the drier, uh, daytime, uh, portion of the, uh, the, of the OOP. Um, but, uh, Fritz, I think realistically is, is the price that you want to grab right now, considering the bottom is wide open 
And uh, I think he could definitely lose 3-1 in the final to Novak Djokovic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I don't mind the look on Fritz. He's still 10-1 to 1 to win his quarter as well. That's uh, wild think, to me. That's yeah, crazy to me. I think that's that's a good bet. Uh, on the women's side, Sviantek, uh still minus 105. Sabalenka into plus 300. Uh, and then, I mean... The interesting thing with the draw is that Sviantek, Rybakina, and Ons, I think, are pretty clearly three of the four best, and they're on they're loaded on one side of the draw. So it's right there for Sabalenka to make a charge to the final. Uh, Elise Mertens, who was 100 to 1 this morning um, to win the French, she is now pretty live that she's knocked out Pagula in her quarter. Uh, Dasha, our girl. I don't know why Taylor Fritz is my guy. I don't believe I've ever been associated with Mr. Fritz. <laughs> no, I'm saying guy. America's guy. America's oh, men's yeah, tennis yeah. player. He's, America. he's Captain America. Yes. Yeah. No, I like it. Uh, but, yeah, definitely our girl is Dasha Kasatkina. It's into 25 to 1. Not sure there's much meat on the bone there. Yeah. Any bets for you on the women's side? Yeah, the uh, problem, I mean, Kasatkina, Dasha has been awesome. She won six zero six one against the live uh, Peyton Stearns today, and it didn't even really feel that competitive. Her problem is that uh, her quarterfinal opponent is likely going to be Arina Sabalenka. <laughs> she good uh, and uh, not only is she good but she is in good form right now um, haven't really seen a, even a moment of wobble from her so far in this tournament she looks very very strong she likely takes out Sloan Stevens in this next round and uh, I would expect that's a straight sets loss for Dasha in uh, in the quarterfinal there um, although I think I think Dasha gets to the quarterfinal. I think she beats the winner of this uh, Svitolina Blinkova match, which is hopefully Svitolina. That's been a great story. Um, but uh, yeah, on the bottom, I think this is still Sabalenka comes out pretty cleanly. She could come out of this bottom half without losing a set. I like Mertens to win Q3 still. Um, nice matchup for her next against uh, the uh, protected rank of uh, former finalist uh, Pavlichenkova. Um, but uh, no one on the top half that spooks you there other than maybe an informed Claire Towson. Um, top half is really where the action is. Um, Iga pretty cleanly through to a quarterfinal matchup against uh, whoever comes out of the bottom, which is going to be probably decided tomorrow morning. And uh, we'll hold our tongue a little bit about previewing the uh, Andreeva Coco golf match. Um, but uh, that is, particular quarterfinal is a must watch as is the potential head to head between robot Kina and uh, Ons Jabour in the Q2. Yep. No, I like that breakdown. Uh, let's go straight to wake and cash. What do you got for tomorrow? So back to that, um, uh, Amira Andriva Coco Goff match. Uh, you have a qualifier against a six seed, which means that uh, this would probably be a minus 500 type of market, right? No, this is almost getting close to a pick em. Uh Andriva opened up in around the plus 130 range. She's bet pretty, uh, she's had a lot of market support throughout qualifying here and through her run to this stage of the tournament. Uh, and so it was no surprise to see her shorten right now. She is plus 110 on the money line. And the big question is, can a qualifier put it together against a former finalist here? And the answer for me is yes. And the reasons are very simple. Coco Goff is not playing anywhere close to the level of tennis she was playing at this tournament last year, despite her uh, getting to this stage of the tournament relatively unscathed. Um, her last match against Grauber, she had a very, very tricky time holding serve, particularly in the middle portion of that match. If she has any 
cl- anywhere close to that type of wobble, um, she is going to find herself in a spot of bother against the Mira Andreeva, who has a lot of the constitutional qualities of an uh, of an Elena Rabakana. Uh, she is unflappable unfazed she doesn't really understand that she shouldn't be doing this at her age in this type of uh, a setting which is dangerous like when you have these younger players that just are doing it for the first time like they're not going to have the same mental baggage of of well i've been in this spot before and lost maybe it happens again uh and uh, to me that matters uh so uh, mira andreva i would i would give uh the both the physical quality of her game uh, and mental advantage uh, over a Coco Goff who, uh, you know, is honestly great job getting to this stage of the tournament, um, but I think is, is pretty uh, uh, overmatched in this particular head to head. So um, the qualifier for me, uh, Mira Andreeva, if you follow women's tennis is a name that you're going to hear a lot in the next five, 10 years. Uh, she has that ceiling of top three player. Um, and uh, I think that this is basically her coming out party. Yep, and good call by you giving out Andreeva at, I think, 500 to 1 before the tournament. <laughs> and now she's top 110 to beat Coco Goff, uh, which is, is quite a turn of events. So, yeah, she's very live. I'm going with uh, our man, Francis Tiafo, plus four and a half games on the handicap against Alexander Zverev uh, in tomorrow's matchup at 2.30 p.m. Eastern. Not entirely convinced by Zverev. Uh, I don't think he's all the way back yet. Uh, it was only a few weeks ago that he was getting beat by the great Christopher O'Connell on clay. Uh, Tiafo's had decent form on clay. I think that win in Houston now looks a little bit more impressive given some of the people that he beat on the way there and how they've performed on clay. So uh, give me Francis Tiafo. I mean, what do you make of Zverev at the moment? Uh, not impressed. Um, and I think... Francis Tiafo is a player who you almost explicitly have to take his intermediate tournament results on best of three and bump them when you get to best of five because he brings his best in these matches when they, you know, against the top competition. He is unbelievably good. He took on peak Roger Federer, peak Rafa Nadal, uh, and he has given them absolute hell in best of five. And I think uh, this is a really fun look. I think he can win outright. We didn't mention him for, uh, you know, any type of futures kind of consideration, but he is 100% live to win quarter four, in my opinion. And what a story that would be uh, to have a French open semifinal with two American men's tennis players. Like, honestly, the last time that happened was, well, like we're talking like Michael Chang years uh, or, you know, I, 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 Andre Agassi versus, Somebody, I mean, it honestly is. We're, we're talking like 80s, probably since the last time that we've had a men's uh, semifinal that was two uh, American players, and I think it's actually potentially live this year. Yep, it certainly happened. Tiafo also got Alcaraz quite a run uh, in New York uh, as well. All right, uh, that wraps it up for us. Don't forget to check out NBCSportsEdge.com for more information to help you with your wages. Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick. We will see you on Monday. Good luck with your bets.